Hello, sports fans, and welcome to Let Me Speak, the show that shares sports' biggest headlines explained, uninterrupted, and maybe a little audacious. I'm Joe Braverman, and today's topics we'll be discussing are, with the NHL playoffs nearly set, who are the teams to keep a close eye on? Plus, who are the contenders no one is talking about heading into the NBA playoffs? And... Aaron Rodgers or Tim Tebow? Who'll stay with his team the longest? It's episode 24 of Let Me Speak, and it starts right now. Thursday, May 13th, 2021, it's Let Me Speak, episode 24. Thank you very much for tuning in. It's beginning to get very warm here in Swampscott, Massachusetts, and really all around the country because summer is almost here. The Memorial Day weekend's coming up in a few weeks. It is a very exciting time, not only because the weather is getting nice, but playoff time is just around the corner, and it's going to start in less than a week for the NHL because we finally have most of our matchups set. I mean, when you look at the standings, pretty much everyone has played all their 56 games except for a handful of teams in the North Division and in the West Division, but we do know which teams are going to be in the playoffs. Some positions are still up for grabs, like I said, in the North and the West Division. Obviously, they had to postpone their games because of COVID outbreaks, but we do know which teams will be vying for the Stanley Cup. We have our final 16, the Sweet 16, not to rip off the March Madness, but I just want to dive into some of the teams and some of the matchups we're seeing early on because we have two divisions that we already know what the matchups look like. We have the Central Division starting off there. We know that the Carolina Hurricanes have clinched the number one seed in the Central Division. Hit Sitting at 80 points right now. They're in first place. Right behind them, though, was the Florida Panthers. 79, only down by one, but they will get the number two seed. Then you have the defending champs, the Stanley Cup champs, the Tampa Bay Lightning at number three. And then a little far off. And I say far off because they're down 11 points to the third place Lightning are the Nashville Predators at 64 points in the fourth spot. And we already know what the matchups look like there. We know it'll be the Hurricanes taking on the Predators. And when you look at what the season has been like so far, Carolina has just been on fire. I mean, they're one of the top three teams in the entire league with those 80 points. And it just almost seems like they're too much. They've got such a strong offense, and when you put them on special teams, they get even more dangerous. I mean, second in the power play in the entire league, third in penalty kill, so their special teams is absolutely huge, and we've seen in recent playoff history that if you have strong special teams, then you will go a long way in the playoffs. Now, the one question you might say for the Hurricanes is... They need to choose a goalkeeper. 
that's the biggest thing because really all year they've been splitting time between Alex Nedeljkovic and James Reamer and their their stats are a little bit a little bit different I mean Nedel Nedeljkovic has a 1.90 goals against average and James Reamer has a 2.66 goals against average but they both played in virtually the same games you know there's only a one game difference between the two so I think the biggest thing for Carolina in these playoffs is figuring out which goaltender are you going to lean on if it comes down to an elimination game you know a game seven or something like that who is the guy you're gonna go to and if you ask me I think it's Najelkovic. I think that's the the big one because like I said 1.90 goals against the average in 23 games played he's got a 932 save percentage that's the guy I would be going to if I was Carolina but I mean James Reamer is a veteran I wouldn't put it past the Hurricanes to throw him in net but I think when you have two great goaltenders playing the way they are you have to choose one though you have to choose one you can get away with it in the regular season you can't do it in the postseason and then on offense they again they've had good numbers good numbers maybe not great numbers but I think the big difference is Sebastian Aho can't be the one to do it all. I mean, he's got 57 points on the year, 24 goals, and 33 assists. The only other 20-goal scorer on the team is Nino Niederreiter. It's got to be someone outside of those two. And they're going to have to be playmakers because you know that what Nashville is going to do is they're going to try and shut those two down. That means Svechnikov... Trocek, Jordan Stahl, just all those guys are going to have to make some plays and they're going to have to do it themselves. That's going to be the biggest thing for this Carolina team. Now on the other side, talking about Nashville, I don't know. It just it just seems like they can't hang. I mean, they just squeaked into the playoffs at 64. I mean, they've got the third worst penalty kill percentage, so if they go down on the penalty kill... Like I, like I said earlier, Carolina's got one of the best power play units in the entire league. And if Nashville falls behind and they're down a man going on the penalty kill, it's not going to look pretty. I don't think it's going to be pretty. But I will say they are 13th in goals against per game. So the defense is definitely there for Nashville. But the problem is that they have no skater. There's no skater who scored more than 15 goals. No more than 15 goals. I mean, your leading goal scorer is Kale Jankrock. I'm sorry, I said that wrong. It's Kale Jankrock with 13. So they're going to have to find some offense immediately. They have to find some offense. And, you know, you have Philip Forsberg, Jankrock, Ryan Johansson. They've got the guys to do it. But I don't know if it's just going to be enough to handle this Carolina team. I mean, they do get to have a chance if Usaros can play phenomenal. I mean, he's had a great year in net for the Preds. Tied for ninth in goals against the average. Tied for third in save percentage. If he can play phenomenal and he can muster a couple of shutouts, then I give Nashville a chance. But I don't see Carolina losing this series. I really don't. I think they'll be able to take it nice and easy with the Nashville team and eliminate them. Now, the other Central Division matchup we have are the Panthers and the Lightning. And this 
this to me is going to be very, very exciting because kind of similar to Carolina, Florida, they've got the offense. They've got the offense. They're tied for third in the entire league in goals per game. But they've got two prominent goal scorers similar to Carolina and two similar point scorers who can't do it all. You have Jonathan Huberdeau and Alexander Barkov, 61 and 58 points respectively. The next one is Mackenzie Wieger at 36. So we're, again, going to have to see more players get involved. And we know all about what they have in net. Sergei Bobrovsky, we know the accomplishments he has. And I have no doubt he'll play great in the playoffs. But it's going to have to be Patrick Hornquist. It's going to have to be Alex Wenneberg. It's going to have to be Carter Hagee to really step up for Florida. Because it can't be Huberto, can't be Barkov the entire time. If they can carry them on their back, then I could see it. But just to me, Tampa Bay just feels like too much. They feel more complete. Remember, this is the defending Stanley Cup champs. And they have pretty much their entire roster back. Braden Point, Palat, Stamkos, Hedman. I mean, they're the top 10 in basically every offensive category. Every offensive category. And then you have a great keeper in net in Vasilevsky. In net. Okay? So, if you ask me, if I had to make a prediction tonight, I would pick Tampa Bay. Because they just feel more complete. And it was just really one bad stretch, you you could argue, that led Florida to get that number two spot. And Tampa might have been playing a little conservative, thinking about, you know, getting all their guys healthy. Because we know what they did in the past couple of postseasons, including last postseason, going all the way to the Stanley Cup. So I would have to pick Tampa. I, I think Tampa is going to beat Florida in this series. And honestly, I think Tampa should be the favorite to come out of the Central Division between these these four teams. Like I said, they just feel more complete from top to bottom. And I think they have I think they have the best offense in that Central Division and a great net. And I'll just say it again. They feel more complete, and I like Tampa to come out of the Central Division once all is said and done. Now, another division that has their playoff matchup set are the East. We have the Penguins, who beat, who won the tiebreaker over the Capitals with 77 points. So they get the number one seed. The Capitals get the number two seed. The Bruins are going to take the number three seed with 73 points. And then the Islanders will have the fourth spot with 71 points. So we know it'll be the Islanders and the Penguins in one of the matchups. And, of course, we know the story about Pittsburgh. We know about all all the guys they have. Crosby, Malkin. We know, we know about that. I mean, they're second in goals per game. But the difference to me, I think, is going to be Tristan Jerry in net. How is he going to do in net to shut down a team like the Islanders. That's going to be the biggest thing for me. We know Chris Letang. We know about him. We know about all, all the pieces that Pittsburgh has. But what can Tristan Jerry do? I mean, he's had some great numbers uh, in the past year. He's fourth with the most wins in the NHL. But look at his other numbers. A 909 save percentage. 909. It's not necessarily elite. So I I don't know. I think they can get out of the series because I just think 
The Islanders have just been hurt pretty much all year long since they lost. Basically, their leader, Anders Lee, lost him to an injury. So New York, I, I don't give them a ton of chances in this series. And I like Pittsburgh. But, you know, thinking thinking long term, is Tristan Jerry going to be that guy? Is he going to be able to keep up his regular season numbers with his postseason numbers? That's going to be huge. And then obviously the other Eastern Division, to me, I would call it maybe the most exciting series and maybe the most storyline filled in the entire NHL. It's the Caps and the Bruins because we know about these two when they've played. It's been physical. We obviously know about Tom Wilson and the bad boy reputation he's put on for Washington. I think that's going to be a key for the Capitals is is Tom Wilson's antics or anything that he do is that going to suck the life out of the Capitals or is it going to inspire them because we know we know when the Bruins and the Capitals play each other it gets physical we've seen it this past year and of course Trent Frederick was a victim to that via Alexander Ovechkin when I talked with Alex Barth a few months ago, talking about him getting a stick in the private parts. We know about that. But it's all—it's going to be about the Bruins matching their physicality. And we'll get into the Bruins during our Let's Get Local segment. But like I've been saying all year for Washington, for the Washington Capitals, is what are they going to do in net? Who is going to be their goalkeeper to lead them all the way? Because looking at what we have, Vitek Vanasek. A 269 goals against average and a 908 save percentage. Ilya Samsonov, 19 games played, same goals against average, 269 and a 902 save percentage. This is a Bruins team that has great offensive weapons. Talking about Marchand, talking about Taylor Hall, who was just brought in, Bergeron, Krejci. They have all these pieces. And if they can make it a high scoring affair, then I could see an upset. I mean, if you ask me, I think this comes down to the maximum amount of games. I think we go seven games in this series, and it it's really just a coin toss for me. I mean, if you're asking me as a homer, I'm going to pick the Bruins. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised either one. That's basically how I see this series. I would not be surprised if either the Capitals win this series or the Bruins win this series because I think whoever comes out of it is definitely going to be a favorite. If Depending on how they play, I think – Whoever comes out of this series, people are going to look at them and say, huh, maybe they can go all the way and win that Stanley Cup. Now, there's still a few positions left to be filled in the West Division. We do know what the Northern Division looks like. We know that the Maple Leafs finished first with 77, followed by the Oilers with 72, followed by the Winnipeg Jets at 61, and the Montreal Canadiens at 59. And despite the fact that a few teams still have a few games left to be played. We do know the matchups. We know the Maple Leafs at number one will play the Canadians at number four. And this is going to be very intriguing for Toronto. I I think Toronto has the most question marks. Not necessarily because of the kind of team that they are, because we know they're a great team. But it's what they do in the postseason. We've seen year after year after year how good of a team this can be. But they just have not been able to take the big step and get into that postseason. 
and I think this is the time for you know look at when you look at the roster it's pretty much stacked I mean Austin Matthews John Tavares Jason Spezza just a few guys to name I mean if you have those guys on your roster you know when you talk about the the young phenoms that they were this should be a team that could go all the way to the Stanley Cup and I do think they can but when you have Matthews and Mitchell Marner at 67, 66 points, followed by Tavares at 50. Again, this goes back to the Carolinas and the Pittsburghs. We know the teams. We know the weapons they have. But what? who else is going to step up? Is Nylander going to come through? Is Hyman going to come through? Is Joe Thornton maybe going to provide his expertise and his veteran presence you know maybe tj brody on defense talks to his guys and says hey let's go let's go but toronto we know they have a great offense i mean sixth in goals per game defensively they're you know they're they're all right i would say you know just looking at them on the ice they are seventh in goals against per game but I mean, kind of, kind of similar. I, I think can, the Canadians have kind of, kind of a, a down year a little bit. I think Frederick Anderson in net for the Leafs are going to be absolutely big. I mean, he does only have an eight ninety five save percentage in twenty four games played. So this is going to have to be a shootout for Toronto if they really want to make a deep run, a really deep run. I think they can get out of this first round. Like I said, I think they can get past Montreal. I mean, Carey Price hasn't looked the same. And just the kind of weapons that the Canadians have, you know, it doesn't it doesn't stick out. They don't have a tremendous offense. And I think this Toronto team, like I said, with, with Brody, I think is going to be very important to shut them down. I think they will shut them down. I think the Canadians, you know, just still kind of squeaking in in that Northern Division. Credit, they are eight points ahead of the Senators, who were the first team out at this moment. But I, I do like Toronto to come out of that series. And, of course, the second series, the Oilers and the Jets. I think that's going to be very fun to watch. And I... I would argue that the Oilers are my favorite to come out of the Northern Division. Because, I mean, what more can you say about Connor McDavid? I mean, I think he's the MVP in the entire league. 104 points in 55 games played. I mean, 71 assists on the year to go along with 33 goals. That guy is the MVP of the league. The MVP of the league. But when you look at this team, you know, they have a tremendous... They have, obviously starting with McDavid, is great. They are seventh in goals per game. And look who else is behind them. You got Leandro Seide. You got Tyson Berry. Darnell Nurse. Ryan Nugent Hopkins. I, I would argue that if this offense can get on Connor McDavid's back, and they he can ride them to the end then I would say, you know, that could be your Stanley Cup champion right there. I'm not going to make the prediction about it, but I'm saying they have the capabilities to do it. And then you just have to have a steady goalkeeper in net. Mike Smith has been able to do that in his 32 games. 
923 save percentage. I mean, they should get out of this divisional round. They should get out of it. And I, I think it could be a sweep. I I know a lot of fans of the Jets, the Winnipeg Jets, are going to be like, what, are you not giving my guys a chance? Maybe. I'll maybe give you a chance. I mean, you got a great goaltender in Connor Hellebuke. I mean, 44 games played, 23 wins, 915 save percentage. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Some of your other skaters, you got you got some good skaters. You got Mark Schaefeli. I mean, you have Blake Wheeler. You have Kyle Connor. But I just think you have a powerhouse in the Edmonton Oilers who has the MVP on the ice. And I, I, would th- I think it's going to be Maple Leafs and Oilers, whoever's coming out of that North Division, are going to make the Stanley Cup. That's what I think. I think I'm going to make a bold prediction and say someone in the North Division is going to come out and make the Stanley Cup. If anyone's going to do it, I think it's going to be the Oilers. And I'm going to say that now before the playoffs begin. But looking at the regular season, I would pick Edmonton to hit the Stanley Cup. So that's what I see in the Northern Division. The Western Division is still still a little bit dicey. We know that the number three seed is going to be the Minnesota Wild. And we know that the number four seed are going to be the St. Louis Blues. But the first seed, the winner of the division is still kind of up for grabs. The Avalanche have one more game to play. And I believe that they own the tiebreaker over the Vegas Golden Knights. So if the Avalanche can win their regular season finale, if they win their regular season finale and beat the LA Kings at home, then they will get the number one seed. They will get the number one seed. The Knights will get the number two. If not, it will go to the Golden Knights. And I think regardless of what happens, I think it's either going to be the Knights or it's going to be the Avalanche. I mean, two tremendously great offenses in the Golden Knights. I mean, the Golden Knights have been the best expansion team in all of sports. In all of sports. I mean, very first year, they make the Stanley Cup. And they just continue to be playoff contenders, Stanley Cup contenders, and they have great pieces around him. Obviously, Mark Stone leading the way with 61 points. Max Pacioretty behind him at 51. I think they have great they have great pieces. They they have some great pieces. They got the third best offense in the NHL. The power play, the special teams unit is going to be huge. That's going to be the biggest thing because in terms of percentage at 17.8%, they're tied for 22nd in the entire league. But they do have the best penalty kill in the league. They're number one. So they just need to score on the special teams. That's going to be absolutely huge. If they're on the power play, they have to score. The Knights have to score. And whether that's all the guys I just mentioned or maybe a a breakaway or something like that. Shea Theodore maybe comes up with something. William Carlson, Riley Smith, Alex Petrangelo, someone on defense. They have to score on the power play. They absolutely do. And then obviously in net, Marc-Andre Fleury, basically a career resurgence since he went to Las Vegas. Since he went to Vegas. I mean, 26 wins on the year, 928 save percentage. Some would argue he's the best keeper in the entire league at this moment. And I think if he plays lights out, the Knights should have no problem. No problem getting out of this. Uh, division getting out of this western division the other side though we do 
we do have to argue about that other team. We do have to argue about the Colorado Avalanche because their offense is phenomenal. I mean, what what more can you say about the top goal-scoring team in the entire league? You can't say much other than the fact that they have a great offense. Obviously, you have Nathan McKinnon and Miko Ratanen, 65 and 64, and I've said it week after week after week that we know they have an offense. What can they do defensively? I mean, we know what they have in net. We know they have Philip Grubauer, 922 save percentage, 30 wins in his 40 games he's played. That's a 1.95 goals against average. You know what you're getting there. It's going to be, can the defenders and the D-line avoid this giant high-scoring game? Because everything's going to have to go right for the Avalanche. If you ask me, I would pick the Golden Knights to come out of this division. Of course, it does depend on the matchup. If they play the Wild, I think their chances diminish. But if they get to the number one and they win the division, then I would say, okay, they can come out of this division. But I do think it comes down to the Knights and the Avalanche in the West. And one of those teams is going to come out and make that Final Four. But, you know, the schedule is going to drop today. We know when the playoffs are going to happen, and it's going to be an exciting time to see who will emerge as the favorites for the Stanley Cup. With the playoffs, we have to talk about the NBA. We know their playoffs are going to be starting in less than a week. The regular season is coming to an end, and we're starting to really see what the standings are going to look like. They're really taking shape. All but one spot in the Eastern Conference has been locked up, and in the West, it's still out there to see which teams are going to make the playoffs, but it's still kind of taking shape a little bit. All but one team has been eliminated in the the Western Conference. Right now, the Kings are the only one who have a chance at knocking out the Spurs. But we obviously, we, we know throughout the year who have been the title contenders. We've talked about the Nets and the 76ers, the Jazz, Lakers, and all of that. But there are some teams who are making a late season surge that have really caught my eye personally. And there are a few teams that I think really could do some damage, and possibly go for a big run and maybe upset things kind of similar to what the Miami Heat did a year ago because I think they could do it again. I think the the one that stands out to me is Miami. Obviously, you got to remember, this is a team that made the NBA Finals a season ago, not even less than a year ago. They made the Finals in October, and we're sitting here in May, and we have been overlooking them for so long pretty much all year long they haven't looked like the same team that they were in the bubble but they're still a tremendously talented team I mean really the only losses they had from that finals team to now were losing Jay Crowder because obviously that was your starting power forward that that's really the only one I can think of that's really the only one I can think of pretty much after that Their roster is pretty much intact. We know what they have. They have everything you want 
in a championship team. They have shooters, they have defense, and they have a mid-range game. They pretty much have everything you're looking for. Two great shooters in Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero. We know what they can do when they are spot on from the field. They have tremendous defenders like Trevor Ariza, who they acquired. And they acquired Dwayne Dedman as well. And don't forget Big Bam. Bam Adebayo. He was an all-star a year ago. And he, I would say, single-handedly was the biggest X-factor in the Miami Heat making that giant postseason run, beating the Pacers, beating the Bucks, and then beating the Celtics. I think Bam has to be the most important piece on that, but obviously Jimmy Butler is the star of this team. Obviously Jimmy Butler is the star because he's not your traditional, you know, all-star superstar player like that. He's not a three-point shooter and an attack to the basket. He's a great defender. He leads the league in steals per game. And he's got a mid-range game where he doesn't need the ball in his hands the entire time. He's great off the dribble and in the catch-and-shoot. And I think Jimmy Butler obviously is going to be important. But like I said, Adebayo, Ariza, Deadman, those are going to be the real X-factors right now. I will say if they, do, if they did have a healthy Victor Oladipo starting at their point guard, then I would be much more confident that they can make a deep run. I still think they can make a Cinderella run because obviously you have Goran Dragic as one of your point guards, Kendrick Nunn. I mean, you still have the three-time champ Andre Iguodala coming off your bench. I mean, that is absolutely huge that pretty much this entire team is intact from a year ago. And just look at the numbers that they've put up. Defensively, they're tied for fifth in opponent's points per game and sixth in turnovers forced. Okay? So we know that this team can go through on defense. We know they can do it defensively. Offense might be the one place they struggle. They're sitting in 25th in points per game. But, like I said, it only takes one series. Duncan Robinson can get hot. Tyler Hero can get hot. Goran Dragic can get hot. Bam Adebayo can take advantage of some matchups down low. I mean, you look at the standings where they are right now. They're slated in fifth. That means they'd be traveling to Atlanta and playing the Hawks. I have no confidence that John Collins could stop Bam Adebayo. I don't. I don't think anyone on Atlanta has some defense to contain him. I just think Miami has all these pieces that if they can put it together at the right time, which they did a season ago, they could find themselves back in the NBA Finals. That's where I stand with that. The second team, I would say, in sticking with the Eastern Conference, is the Knicks. Why Why are everyone looking away from the New York Knicks? I understand they're sitting in sixth place right now, but come on, Nick. Maybe it, it has to do with the history, because the Knicks have only won, like, what, one postseason series in the last 15 years or something like that? Maybe 20 years or something like that? I have no idea. But that could be the reason why everyone's overlooking New York. But this team is well put together by Coach Tom Thibodeau. I really do. I think they could do some damage all because of their defense right now. I mean, they're first in the defensive categories of points per game, field goal percentage, and three-pointers per game. And not only that, but they're very clean with the ball. They've got the six fewest turnovers in the entire NBA. The only difference 
is that they don't have an outstanding offense. They don't have an outstanding offense. Obviously, you have Julius Randle, who's been your leader all year long. He's a 23-10 and 10 kind of guy. He's going to have to do a little bit more. He's going to have to do more on offense to, to really carry New York and get the Knicks going. Because, I mean, we know they have great defenders. Uh, R.J. Barrett ha- has come along very strong. Derrick Rose and his veteran leadership. Obi Toppin, Taj Gibson. And the X factor, I would say, is Nerland's Noel down low. Having him as a rim protector will be absolutely huge for New York to have. He can go up against the likes of guys who really want to drive it to the basket. And he's been a great rim protector. I mean, he's got top five numbers in blocks per game in the regular season. But it's going to come down to what they can do on offense. Okay, Julius Randle is going to have to do a little bit more. Barrett's going to have to do a little bit more. Alec Burks, who's come on very strong for this Knicks team. I think he's going to have to do a little bit more. Just the the offense has to get better. Because they're 26th in points per game. So we're going to have to see a little bit more out of the offense from New York to maybe really take them seriously. I think that's going to be the big thing. I still take New York seriously. But if they can have a great offensive showing in their first couple of series, because, I mean, the way it's looking right now, they're going to have to play Milwaukee. I think, ideally, you want to get to that 4-5 or five spot where you're playing Atlanta or Miami. It least gives you a chance. Because I think if they go up against Milwaukee, I think it's going to be really tough for them to upset the Bucks and overcome to get into the semifinals. I think that's going to be absolutely huge. But in sticking with the Eastern Conference, I'll, I'll give one more team out there in the Eastern Conference, and that's the Wizards. The Washington Wizards are finding their pieces. They're finding their identity, and it's coming at a great time. A great time. I mean, we know Russell Westbrook is basically a walking triple-double right now. He just passed the great Oscar Robertson for most triple-doubles in his career at 181. 181 triple-doubles. Ginormous. You pair that off with a great scorer like Bradley Beal, I think offensively, this Wizards team, they have a chance to upset the Celtics, who are sitting in the seventh spot right now. They've already clinched the play-in. I mean, the Wizards haven't clinched their play-in spot, but it's definitely looking like, with only a handful of games left, only two games left, that they will be able to clinch that last play-in spot. And I think if they can have a great offensive game, they can upset the Celtics. The problem is going to be defensively, obviously. I mean, their plus-minus right now is minus 2.2, which is one of the worst among playoff teams. It is the worst differential among playoff teams. But I think if Westbrook can continue to have a great triple-double, if... Alex Len can be a great rim protector if Davis Perdons can have a great game shooting. Maybe throw in Robin Lopez to get a little physical for a Celtics team that doesn't have a lot of size down low. Then the Wizards could really pull off the upset. That's I would not be surprised if the Wizards could find themselves getting out of the play-in and maybe into a matchup with either the 76ers or the Brooklyn Nets. I would not be surprised at that at all, considering what direction the Celtics are going in, who we'll talk about in our Let's Get Local segment.
But now the one last team I want to throw out there will go over to the Western Conference, and that's the Dallas Mavericks. I think the Mavericks, I mean, l- let's just put it like this. Luka Magic is a top five player in the league. He's a top five player in the league. But the one thing he has not done is get it done in the postseason. I think it's going to be absolutely important, especially when you see the standings that they're at right now. They've clinched their division, and they're sitting in sixth place right now. Ultimately, if you're sitting in sixth place, you got to play the Clippers, who they got eliminated from in the bubble last season. If you can get yourselves up to the fifth seed, you're going to play the Nuggets. But I just think the way Luka has been playing has been outstanding to watch. And I think he can carry this team and create some of that magic. I think he can create some of that magic for the Mavericks and maybe go on a, a sneaky good run. Because look at the pieces that Doncic has around him. Obviously, you have Kristaps Porzingis, who plays great when he's a number two option and he's fully healthy. Let's not forget that. Porzingis has to be healthy because so far he's a 20 points, nine rebounds per game guy. But that's only when he's healthy. And then Doncic has just got some great shooters around him. Tim Hardaway Jr., Jalen Brunson, Josh Richardson, Dorian Finney-Smith. I think they have a lot of great offensive pieces down low. I think the one thing, obviously, Luka has said it himself. He's got to have some composure. He's pretty much leading the entire league in technicals. If he gets one more, it's an automatic suspension. Or I, I believe it's one or two more. I can't remember exactly what the number was. But he's got to be able to compose himself. Got to be able to have that sort of playoff mentality of, it's time for me to take over the game, and I'm not going to let anything bother me. That's going to be big. But if he can pull off some magic, if Doncic can pull off some Luka magic, then the Dallas Mavericks could go on a run. And remember, we're still unsure about the Clippers when they get in their postseason, we don't know if they'll go a long way, but the Mavericks could be able to overtake them. But you know, it's going to be very exciting once the NBA playoffs are set come next week. We'll find out who are the contenders on the road to the NBA Finals. Now we move on to the NFL, and everyone's going to want to talk about the schedule that just got released, talking about Tom Brady returning to Foxborough, seeing a week one Monday night football kickoff between the Ravens and Raiders, and of course the return of Dak Prescott. But I don't want to talk about the schedule. I want to talk about two stories that, to me, really coincide with each other, and that's The drama with Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. And then the recent signing of Tim Tebow. Now, if if you're unaware, let me catch you up. Aaron Rodgers, a couple weeks ago, right before the draft, said, and he's told people within Green Bay, he does not want to return. That's part one. The other part with Tim Tebow is that he was just recently signed to the Jaguars as a tight end. A tight end for a guy who's played quarterback his entire career football career and there are some parallels and there are some differences but it is those two stories coinciding with each other that is the subject of this week's segment known as hot takes oh hot 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 
Now, let, let's break this down the way it is. You have a Hall of Fame quarterback, first ballot Hall of Famer, former Super Bowl champion, three-time NFL MVP, has been very frustrated with this Packers team for years now and has said, I do not want to be with this team anymore. And so he is trying to find his way out of Green Bay and onto another team, possibly forcing a trade or maybe doing a holdout. We never know. He could be holding out. But then on the other side of the spectrum, you have a non-Hall of Fame quarterback, maybe a college football Hall of Fame quarterback, two-time Heisman Trophy winner, Tim Tebow reuniting with his former college coach at Florida, Urban Meyer, and he's going to try out as a tight end. Now, before I get into what I talked about in the tease of who's going to stay longer, I mean, why is Tim Tebow getting signed anyway? Why? Let's let's keep this in mind. He's 34 years old. He's only had one good season as a quarterback. Not even one good season, a good half season when he overcame for, for Denver and then he led the Broncos over the Steelers in the wild card and then getting thwomped by the New England Patriots in 2010, I want to say, 2010, 2011. And... You're still giving him chance after chance after chance. Let's let's realize what happened. One, a half season with the Broncos, gets traded to the Jets to make room for Peyton Manning, doesn't start a game, is put on special teams, is immediately cut afterwards, then signs as a third stringer with the Patriots, doesn't even make it out of the preseason. All right? Tim Tebow is a great guy. He's absolutely great. I totally respect the guy for the kind of person he is and all of that. I totally respect it and I love the guy. But he's just not good enough for the NFL. He's not good enough for the NFL. When he signed with the Patriots, this was like 2014 and he's been playing baseball ever since. He's been playing baseball and he hasn't even gotten to the majors with the New York Mets. And now you want to sign him as a tight end? As a tight end, a position he has never played before. He's only been a quarterback, and you want him to be a tight end, okay? It, it, it's it's kind of ridiculous. Also, when you consider the other quarterbacks that I, I think are much more skilled to play other positions, you know, like a Colin Kaepernick, he could easily be like a running back or a wide receiver. I could totally see that. But a guy like Tim Tebow still getting chance after chance in the NFL, it, it's absolutely ridiculous. It is ridiculous. And the only reason he got signed was because of Urban Meyer. Only reason. The only reason. Not only that, but the media attention as well. The media is now circling in on the Jacksonville Jaguars because you have the best college player from the past two or three years in Trevor Lawrence and then you have a guy who, if he even breathes, will get media attention in Tim Tebow. Okay? So that's all Jacksonville is looking for. They're looking for the media attention. They want the cameras pointed on them saying, hey, look at us. We're making a team here. We're going to be a favorite soon. Watch out. It, it's a dumb move. I'm, I'm just going to say it right there. Urban Meyer, this is a dumb move. Even without Tim Tebow, this was a good team. And I understand a tight end is necessary. I understand it's a need for this Jacksonville team. But you're not going to solve it with Tim Tebow. You're not going to solve it 
with Tebow. You already have Chris Mannertz and James O'Shaughnessy. At least those are guys experienced at tight end. Credit they, they're not, you know, a Travis Kelsey or a Jonu Smith or a Rob Gronkowski. But they're better than a guy who hasn't played the position at all. It's so dumb. It's, it's a dumb move. It's a dumb move. But that's the Jacksonville side. Then look at the Green Bay side of this. We have no idea what Aaron Rodgers is going to do. Because from what it sounds like, Green Bay is not going to move him. They're not going to trade him. They're not going to cut him. So he's going to have to play. He's going to have to play in Green Bay. But he could hold out, like I had mentioned. He could pull a holdout and say, I'm not playing until you trade me. I don't think Rodgers might do that. It's it's a possibility. I'm not sure. Maybe he doesn't give his 100% into Green Bay. Maybe he doesn't put up the Hall of Fame numbers. Because look at the schedule that that just came out. I mean, they've got five primetime matchups. Five prime primetime. So the NFL is leaning on Aaron Rodgers completing this season. But, I mean, look at some of the matchups they've got. New Orleans, San Francisco, Chicago, Kansas City, Seattle. They've got a ton of matchups that if Aaron Rodgers isn't playing his best, then the AFC North could be totally up for grabs. It, it could go to Chicago, who doesn't have a quarterback right now. Or it could go to maybe Minnesota with Mr. Inconsistency Kirk Cousins. Or it could maybe go to Detroit with a new-look team and a new-look regime. I mean, I I ultimately do think Rodgers will play this year. I, I think he's going to be unhappy for sure. But it, it's just going to be really tough to see Aaron Rodgers being happy in Green Bay, maybe patching this thing up. Because remember, look at what else they did in the draft that I mentioned. They did not get a wide receiver. They got a cornerback in the first round. Credit, I said a couple weeks ago, I like their pass-catching core with Tanya at tight end, followed by Adams, Lazard, and all those guys. But I think Rodgers was saying, hey, I want more. I want more of this. So I, I really am... There are so many things that could happen with Aaron Rodgers with this situation. He could hold out. He could play. He could just say, I'm frustrated and all that. There are so many possibilities that can happen with Aaron Rodgers. I mean, it does sound like Green Bay might be ready because they did sign Blake Bortles to possibly be a backup third string, something like that. So maybe they're ready to trade him. But it's really hard to say what is going to happen with Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. Does he stay there? I mean, unless the Packers win a Super Bowl this upcoming season, then I say he will be on his way out one way or another. But Green Bay would would be really dumb to to trade a future Hall of Famer. I mean, you'd be fine with letting him walk, kind of similar to like Tom Brady. You, You want him to stay, but if you let him walk, that's much better than maybe trading him or something like that. It's... It's going to be very interesting once mini camp and then training camp and preseason, once that comes along, what is Aaron Rodgers' energy going to be like with Green Bay? Now, to answer the question that was mentioned in the tease, who stays with their team the longest? It's back and forth, but I honestly think that Rodgers is going to play out this season. 
You know, we might not be happy about it, but I think he will play out this season. I think, you know, he's much of a professional where he will, he'll just suck it up and just be like, I still want out, but I am going to play. And obviously, Tim Tebow is not going to make it as a tight end. I mean, he can barely make it as a football player at 34 years old. This is all for publicity. It's all for publicity. I don't see Tebow making, you know, the regular season roster with Jacksonville. This was only to get the media attention, to get the cameras on them, to get people talking about Jacksonville more and more and more. So the answer to the question is Aaron Rodgers will stay with the Packers longer than Tim Tebow will stay with the Jaguars. Next, we take a trip up the Mass Pike and talk about our local teams. It's our Let's Get Local segment of the week. And like I had mentioned during our NHL segment at the top of the show, the Bruins, we know their playoff fate. We know they're going to be the number three seed in the East. They're going to face the Capitals, and it's going to be a very fun series to watch. And like I had mentioned in talking about that series, it's going to be physical. It is going to be physical. Obviously, when you have Tom Wilson, Ovechkin, Oshie, just to put on that with uh, Marshan and Bergeron and Krejci and Taylor Hall and Frederick. I throw Frederick because, again, we go back to that incident. But they are going to kick off their series this Saturday, 7-15 in D.C. They'll get that divisional series underway. And I think, ultimately, this was a great matchup for the Bruins to land on I think I think it's a good matchup I mean credit you do want them to get home ice and maybe be the two seed but with the Bruins landing the Capitals I think this is their I think this is their best chance to get out of the divisional round because like I said they have tremendous goal scoring options obviously Taylor Hall which by the way what a beautiful move in that overtime win a beautiful move by Taylor Hall. And if we can see that Taylor Hall, if he can be that prominent scoring option, then this team can have a good shot at going deep, at going deep. And then they just have, it's going to be big, but going back, but going back to, you know, against Washington, I think it's a great match. Remember they were four, two and two versus Washington during the regular season. And, even in their losses, in their overtime losses and stuff like that, they were competitive in basically every game except that dud of an 8-1 to loss against the Capitals. But in going back to the keys, matching physicality, like I said, that's going to be absolutely big. We're going to have to see guys like Charlie Coyle. We're going to have to see defenders like a Brandon Carlo or a Connor Clifton or a Matt Grizzlick or Charlie McAvoy, just match the physicality. They're going to have to impose their will and tell this Capitals team, you know, you might be the best team in this division, but we are not afraid. We are not afraid. That is going to be very important for this Bruins team. And then we did find out that Jeremy Swayman 
is going to be the backup to Tuka Rask. And I I like it. I think Rask has had some some great games, but Swayman has just been really a surprise because, I mean, it was a 34-year-old Rask and a 35-year-old Yaroslav Halak who were your two goaltenders. Now you bring in some youth in Jeremy Swayman, and even if someone gets hurt, maybe Dan Vladar steps in. He's only 23, but... I, I like Swayman as a backup. You know, I think it's still going to be Tuka Rask leading the way. But just in case, if you need a plan B, kind of similar to last year where Tuka Rask opted out of the bubble, this is a good second option to have. Swayman has played great in his first couple of games. But another key, like I said, talking about the physicality and talking about Taylor Hall, we know that the first and second line are very important. But it's really going to come down to the third and fourth lines. Are these third and fourth lines going to be able to keep up the energy, match the physicality, do basically everything that the first and the second line were able to do? That means we have to look at guys like Nick Ritchie and Jake DeBrus and Kevin Miller and Kase, etc., etc. Whoever's going to be on that third and fourth line. And maybe Coach Bruce Cassidy changes up the lines every couple of games, but... I think the first game is going to be very important to see what are these third and fourth lines going to do. That's going to be very important. If they can keep up the physicality, if they can if they could maybe, you know, put up some some goal scorers get like one or two goals in there, then I think the Bruins will have a shot at this. I think I think that's the biggest key out of all is just getting that third and fourth line to match up the energy and physicality that the first and second lines can show. Because we know that they can't. We know Marshawn can be a big instigator in stuff like that. We know Krejci, Bergeron, they have big bodies out there. We know all about that. We know Pasternak can get in there and be a great goal scorer. But is the third and fourth line going to be able to do that? Are they going to be able to do that? And I'm just going to stick with, you know, like I said earlier on, I think this will go seven games. I think, you know, whoever comes out of this will be a favorite for the Stanley Cup and getting out of this division. Obviously, they're going to have to play that number one team in Pittsburgh. But we've seen the Bruins have their way with Pittsburgh as well. So I think if the Bruins can get out of this series, then they will have a great shot at getting the Stanley Cup and getting to the Stanley Cup Finals. Now, on the contrary, though, a team that doesn't have a great shot of getting into the finals are the Celtics. And to me, the death nail was just put in the coffin when we found out a few days ago that Jalen Brown had surgery on his wrist and he's going to be out for the remainder of the season. And it just it sucks because Jalen Brown had a tremendous season for Boston, really coming through and being prominent on on offense I mean looking at he's basically the second best player behind Jason Tatum right now I mean 20 over 24 and a half points per game to see to see a season end like that is definitely hard to watch I mean he had a couple 40 point games it's tough to see Jalen Brown's season come to an end like that and like I said this is you throw in the white flag you put the nail in the coffin everything you want to say about this season and their title chances have, I think, officially come to an end. I think they did come to an end a couple weeks ago, but this was kind of the blow, the ultimate death blow in saying, you know what, this team isn't made for a championship year. And 
we already know that because after last night's loss to Cleveland, we found out that the Celtics have officially clinched a play-in spot. And I think it's ultimately going to be the seventh seed or the eighth seed. I mean, they've lost four straight. They've still got two games left. As long as they win one game, then they'll get that seventh spot and they'll have to play Washington. But that's not going to be any easy. That's not going to be an easy series like I mentioned. I mean, if they can shut them down on offense, we know the defense of the Wizards aren't able to shut down a Jason Tatum or a Kemba Walker or stuff like that. But I will say, the only hope I'm giving the Celtics, and it's a very slim chance of hope, of going for a long run, is that if Evan Fournier can be a semblance on offense that Jalen Brown was. I'm not talking about, you know, being that number two option because I think Kemba Walker is going to move into that spot where he's going to be the second scoring option behind Jason Tatum. But if Fournier can sort of pick up the slack that Jalen Brown left behind, not all of it, but just a little bit of it, then the Celtics can at least make it competitive with the Brooklyn Nets because it sounds like it's going to be the Brooklyn Nets at number two with the Celtics maybe clinching that seventh spot. I do think they do get the seventh spot. I think they come out of this game with the Wizards. But then just to be competitive with the Nets, Fournier is going to have to play great on offense. That is going to be that's going to be the key for the Celtics team. Because I mean, look at what he did the other night, 30 points. I mean, that was his best offensive game since he came over to the Celtics. I think they can escape the play-in, but like I said, this is just, it's over for any kind of championship chances. I mean, this is a lost year, basically, because this team was not healthy. They weren't healthy from the start. They started the season without Kemble Walker. Then they lost Marcus Smart. Then Jason Tatum had COVID. Then Robert Williams gets hurt. Smart gets hurt again. You lose Jalen Brown. This team just was not healthy, and every team is going to have that at some point is that they're not going to have a fully healthy team for one season. And I'm on the board. There's, you know, the blame to go around here is on Danny Ainge, the way this roster is constructed. The one thing the Celtics team has needed for years is a rim protector. And Tristan Thompson, while I like him as a rebounder, he's not a rim protector. He's not a defensive rim protector. You need like a seven-foot guy who's all about defense, you know, maybe like a JaVale McGee or something like that in the offseason if he's available, if you can get it for a cheap price. But a good offseason can turn around this team. That's going to be very, very important because they're still going to have Tatum. They're still going to have Brown. They're still going to have Kemba Walker. That's your big three on offense right there. It's the pieces around them that you surround them with that is going to be huge. So all eyes are going to be on Danny Ainge and what he does for this offseason. Now, while the Celtics have not had success, the Red Sox continue to have success. They're still in first place in the AL East, and they have cooled off a little bit. Their offense, had, the bats have cooled off a little bit, but they're still one game up on the surging New York Yankees in the AL East. And they have dropped three straight one to the Orioles, and then these past two to the Athletics after winning four straight. But, I mean, Kike Hernandez going on IL definitely hurts. It definitely hurts because you know that's your leadoff guy. 
And Marwin Gonzalez, while I think he's good, I don't think he's that prominent bat who can be a leadoff guy. I think he could be maybe like a 7 or 8 down the bottom of the order. Plus, he's he's turned into that utility man where you can really move him around. I don't think Marwin Gonzalez is that guy to lead off for the future. So getting Kike Hernandez back is going to be very important. But we've seen Martinez cool down. We've seen Devers. He's still playing great, but he's cooled down. Vasquez has cooled down. But, I mean, Xander Bogarts, I mean, he's – I'm going to make this bold prediction that he makes the all-star team. I think he makes the all-star team this year as the starting shortstop. That's what I think. I mean, from what I recall, DJ LeMayhew is a second baseman. And Bogarts leading all shortstops in basically every category. I would venture to say that Bogarts will be that starting shortstop if he continues to go this way. But like I've continued to say, the offense isn't the problem. It's the bullpen. And we have seen them struggle to just find consistent outings. I mean, we've seen Josh Taylor, Austin Bryce, Phillips Valdez. They haven't had a consistent surge. They they haven't had a consistent set of outings where, you know, you can trust them in the bullpen. Really, the only guys you can trust in the bullpen right now is Matt Barnes and Garrett Whitlock right now. I mean... Darwinson Hernandez still has questions. Sawamura isn't putting up those great numbers that he once was at the beginning of the year. I think it's going to be very important. I still think this Sox team can still be successful, but they just have to find consistency in that bullpen. They have to find it. They got to find some good arms, get some consistencies right now. And, you know, because we're seeing the bullpen just blow some games. We're seeing. Uh, Evaldi lose great start for losing Rodriguez and Perez and Richards. And the, the starting rotation was the biggest question. One of the biggest questions for this, this Sox team heading into this year. And that was solved. It, it's kind of solving itself. But then you have another problem, and that's after your starters go out of the game. What is your bullpen going to do? So I think the bullpen just has to clean itself up, and the Sox can get itself back to their winning ways. But... They'll be ending their season, their series tonight at Fenway against the Athletics. Then they will bring in the LA Angels and their fearsome offense with Otani and Mike Trout and Rendon into Fenway. And we'll have to see what the Sox can do against the team from Anaheim at Fenway Park. Finally, to end our show this week, we look once again at our LOL moment of the week. And I got to tell you, this is going to be somewhat short because it does involve an athlete. It does involve kind of a funny little thing that happened. But it's all about economics. And I'm not an expert in economics. Let me preface that before I get into it. So I'm just going to be rambling and I'm going to be talking out of my rear end so this week's lol moment of the week is going to go to sean culkin so if you don't know who sean culkin is he is an nfl if you don't know who sean culkin is he is an nfl tight end and he recently in the offseason signed with the kansas city chiefs and he was hoping to land a backup role to travis kelsey for the Chiefs. 
But some things took a little bit of a change because before the NFL draft, he had said he wants his entire NFL salary, which to him was the minimum of about 900000 to a $1 million, I think. That's what I'm taking a guess on. And he had said he wanted his whole salary converted into Bitcoin. And what happened after he wanted that? He was cut. He was released by the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, there, there's two ways of looking at this. Number one is, why do you want to do this Bitcoin thing now? Like I, I said at the beginning, I'm not an economic expert. And I had to Google about four times what this Bitcoin thing is. And I guess it's all about, you know, cryptocurrency and like saving, you know, something like that for future assets. I, I'm not 100% sure. My definition could be totally wrong. I'm After this episode, I'm going to get someone to try and explain Bitcoin to me because it doesn't really, to, to me, it does not make any sense. You know, if you if you Google like you have $50,000, you get one Bitcoin. I'm like, I don't know what that means or what Bitcoin does for the future. But that's the economic side of it. From a football side of this, you're signing with the two-time reigning AFC champions. I mean, why? I understand you want to be like progressive in all of this, but come on, you're you're going to be playing with Patrick Mahomes. You're going to be playing for the Chiefs, the best team in the NFL in the past three seasons, and you say that you don't want a regular salary. You want a Bitcoin salary. And this, it doesn't make any sense because, you know, like I said, he was competing to be a backup tight end to Travis Kelsey. So we might not have even gotten that much playing time. And depending on what else happens, he he might not have been able to make the regular season roster. He might not have been able to make the regular season roster. Now, he is the first player in the NFL who wanted to convert his entire paycheck to cryptocurrency and to make it a Bitcoin. But we're talking the Chiefs. You know, I just say, I say you get what you got. You 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 see what you have, you take it, and you just say, okay, this is the money that I'm going to make. But he wants to go to this sort of revolutionary sort of thing with Bitcoin. Now, it has worked for one NFL player, and that's Russell Okun. He got half of his salary turned into Bitcoin. But again, I don't I don't know what this Bitcoin thing is. So I, I don't know if it's a good idea or a bad idea for Culkin to want to have his entire salary into cryptocurrency. But I mean, if you're signed with the Kansas City Chiefs, they obviously like something in you. And if you get to be a part of still the best team in football with the best player in football and Patrick Mahomes. I I would take that opportunity. It, if you paid me $1 to play with Patrick Mahomes, I would say, okay, I'm in. I mean, $1 might be different. I've never played a snap of football in my life. Uh, competitive football, I should say. Let's preface that. I've had plenty of backyard football sessions, but <laughs> if if anyone offered me that kind of money to go play for the Kansas City Chiefs, to play with Travis Kelsey, to play with Tyreek Hill, to play with Mahomes, I would say absolutely. I am taking it no matter what the salary is. And, you know, may, maybe Culkin is doing this because he doesn't 
think that, you know, he's not going to make the, the opening day roster automatically. So maybe he's just saying, let's get this into the future for now. So just in case I get cut, you know, it's not a guarantee or something like that. Because it's only like 900000 900000 to a million dollars. So even if he does get cut, you know, how much of that is guaranteed? I would guess not a lot. But again, to come out loud and say after you're signed that you want your salary in Bitcoin. I mean, if it was me, I would announce that before I get signed. Not when I get signed, because the Chiefs basically looked at this and be like, are we able to convert this to Bitcoin? Do we have the, the space to? And obviously the answer was no, and so they just got rid of them. So, Sean Culkin, I understand you want to change the world with the with Bitcoin and making cryptocurrency a biggest thing, but maybe you should hold off on that after you finish your NFL career. Because you wanting to go to Bitcoin with your salary has earned your way into this week's LOL Moment of the Week. So that will do it for this edition of Let Me Speak. Thank you very much for watching and for listening. Make sure you're dropping those likes, those comments, and make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just search let me speak podcast and remember as always if you've got a point you got to get across just tell the whole world shut up and let me speak